Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us in this podcast series for Integrative Arts and Humanities Course 241E, Social Dance, History, and Contemporary Reflections. Today's podcast is the first in the course in the module, The Birth of Dance. I hope you enjoy. at the dawn of time, the birth of dance. Dance truly is the mother of all of the arts. It's been called the oldest of the arts. It is perhaps equally true it is older than the arts themselves. The human body making patterns in time and space is what makes dance unique among the arts and perhaps explains its antiquity and universality. Music and poetry exist in time. Painting and architecture exist in space, but the dance lives at once in time and space. How do we know that dance is as old as it is? Well, we have artwork depicting dance inside of a specific society which kind of shows the function of dance in that culture. For example, in the period of 8,000 BCE to 3,000 BCE, there are really three styles of artwork that depict dance scenes that were discovered in southeastern Europe and Egypt. We have naturalistic, linear, and geometric images. So, naturalistic. I want you to imagine a cave painting, right? Imagine animals that look like they are leaping through space and hunters, or you see images of people dancing in circles, holding hands, making unified arm gestures. Or we have linear, which shows lines of people moving all with unified movement, which we can see on rock walls or slabs. And then we also have geometric, which shows uh, something that's a little bit more um, artistic in nature, For example, think of like hieroglyphs or um, images of of dancers moving on pieces of pottery. Now, since we can't figure out what the actual movement was because we have these stagnant images in these prehistoric scenes, there's much debate on what the actual dance was. You know, what happened immediately before this image and what happened immediately after? Those are mysteries. However, we can decide That dance is intrinsic to the shape and structure of society because it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous throughout culture. In periods before schools and writing, there were these moments that were symbolized by dance as a basic mechanism for educating and for knowledge being passed down by the adult members of the community through the generations. So this becomes the most efficient way and the most powerful symbol in the evolution of human societies that the dance and the movement of bodies and how people told stories about the world or their community, passing it down, these become the basic mechanism of the evolution of human societies. Now, we 
see these dances everywhere. But more often than not, we can kind of put them down to a series of life events, right? Various moments in life that are important, that shine brighter than your average day. The birth of uh, a child, the marriage or the courtship or the coming together of two people, war, a celebration after, after a, a war was won or a celebration or a dance of some kind when peace was achieved. We have the passing on of someone when someone dies. We have harvest elements, right? Where when we hit spring and all of a sudden food becomes more plentiful. We don't really necessarily need to go into what those mean. These life events still occur now. We have celebrations for birth and death and marriage and when summer and when winter comes and when when there is a war. So these things are are intrinsic to our society still to this day. So one of the things that we that we can look at though is the, the design of it. Okay, so when you think of an ancient dance that celebrates the harvest, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What do you see in your head when you think about let's say a group of hunter-gatherers sharing in some sort of celebratory moment when they uh, achieved um, a, a really spectacular hunt or when, you know, the, the rains finally came and their crops or, or food was uh, more plentiful. There's two ways to kind of imagine it. Um, imagine that you're looking, looking at dance like from the sky down, right? You would see movement uh, if it was called locomotion, right? So locomotion is them moving through space, watching people move around in a pattern. Or uh, something that might be considered more simple would be non-locomotor, right? Where they're not necessarily moving, but they are like standing in certain places and perhaps doing something more with rhythm or music or with their arms and not necessarily moving. So those are the two types of things that you might see. One of the dance forms we see tons and tons of throughout time is the circle dance, where the tribe or the community at large are all unified in their focus on a single thing, and they're all participating on something. Not necessarily performing, but we're all together giving our focus or honoring something that's in the center of that circle. And so as societies grow and change, the circles become much more complicated. They might have three different levels to it, or they might have somebody who the circle on the outside is playing music, and then there's dancers in the middle, and then a performer in the center, etc., etc. We also know of line dances. Now, we can call them serpentine dances, but imagine basically, you know, People walking through a space or serpentine moving, moving or dancing through a space, but they're, it's kind of similar to like a snake. We still see serpentine dances done today in various forms. Now, there's kind of two types of dance outside of what, you're, what we're talking about with circle and line. And the phrases are called in harmony or out of harmony. So... A dance that is called in harmony or considered in harmony with the body 
is usually a performance of some type where people are working in unison or have some sort of um, an affiliation with a pattern or some rules or some traditions. Now, if it's an expanded in harmony dance, it's usually performed by men in patriarchal societies where they're like athletic displays with large large movements. Or you could have a smaller one that's more closed, typically performed by females, um, dealing with some sort of connection uh, or misconnection to the earth. Belly dancing, sitting, um, hand dances, slap dances, whirling dances, etc. If you were to think now of the opposite, which is out of harmony with the body dance, what would that mean to you? Any ideas? The way that we think about out-of-harmony dances are ones that are like in a trance state, right? Where you're in an altered place, where you are responding in an improvised, Im improvisational way. Running, jumping, leaping, frenzied movement that leads to collapsing. Or imagine that the music is controlling the dancer or the or the, uh, there's magic behind it, right? So people are simply responding and in a trance. They're dancing without any adherence to rules or formations, it just purely dancing. Now, that's considered by historians out of harmony. I submit that it's actually more in harmony with your body to listen to it and to dance however you feel. But that's the way that historians historians understand that. Um, the last thing uh, we'll talk about for this first section is just kind of imagining all the different types of dances that we have. So, for example, we might respond to animals, right? There's a lot of history that shows ancient dances being done as a form of symbolizing the animal. Right, So we are becoming the wolf, or we are becoming the bear or the snake as a way to either honor it or try to make it weaker for the hunt. Um, putting on a mask is a very, very old form of uh, helping to facilitate a dance, to become someone else, to represent uh, a god or an animal or um, an ancestor who's passed on. A lot of fire dances, trance dances, music accompaniment dances. You see tons of costumes and adornment. And then adding art, right? So creating pottery or fabrics or weapons or uh, beaded uh, cloths um, so that they can be used purely for the dance. Because the dance was one of the most important parts, uh, one of the most important rituals uh, in in this time around the world, creating beautiful and ceremonial pieces of art is something that is uh, very intrinsic to dance as a whole. So let's talk about Egypt. Egypt is one of the oldest civilizations. And they believed that the god Ethotus was the god of the dance, the god who invented dance. And it was intrinsic to their society, their politics, their spirituality. 
we had temple dancers, female temple dancers. We had priests. And even the pharaoh himself had specific roles that they would play involving dance. If you were a woman growing up in Egypt, you had basically four possible professions that you could select from. Priesthood would be one, midwifery, or helping to um, move forward with uh, childbirth. Mourning, literally a profession was to mourn the death of someone. They would hire mourners, pay them, or dancing. Yes, that is correct. So which one would you choose? The upper class Egyptian society, they typically performed dance in the temple as a part of a religious activity. But they didn't necessarily participate in it as much. They were primarily focused on the act of dance as a way to uh, become more spiritually invested in their faith. We start to see training and trained dancers during this time as well. Um, dance masters appear in Egypt so that they can carry on the knowledge to the next generation and provide a high standard. When you have a profession that is as honored as someone who's a dance master, it truly does redefine the importance of dance in a culture. It means that it's the chief form of expression and was a vehicle for perpetuating the culture of Egypt throughout its incredible 3,000 years. Let's move on to a couple other places quickly. We have the island of Crete, which is kind of a link between Egypt and Greek culture in the ancient world. Crete had a period of roughly 1,600 years where it was most prosperous between 3,000 and 1,400 BCE. And central to the Cretan cu culture is the story of the Minotaur, which is a half-man and a half-bull creature that lived inside of a labyrinth. And just like Egypt and just like everything else we're going to talk about, dance was permeating everyday life and society. It intertwined religion. It intertwined myths and symbols. We see men performing war dances, women performing religious and ritualistic ceremonies. But they both performed bull dances because of this myth of the Minotaur. Similarly to Egypt and the prehistoric dances we've talked about, Cretans were dancing for life events, just like we said. Wars, fertility, harvest, entertainment, and more. We also see a lot of snake dances and bull dances here. So the rise of this animalism, uh, animism and, uh, and symbolic movement with the animal and the myth of the animal is huge in Crete. And it's where that serpentine dance we talked about is manifested to its largest, largest possible display because it's discussing and focusing and honoring the labyrinth, the path into or out of darkness. In Greece, we kind of have a melting pot, right? We have Asiatic, African, Mediterranean cultures all kind of coming together to provide influence to the Greek people. The Greeks believed that if you were to be considered educated and had a strong moral code, you had to dance well. And the way that you danced and the care that you danced would, would help define you as a good and educated person.
if you were good in dance, you were most likely considered to be strong in battle. The very same way that we talk about in harmony or out of harmony with dance when we're talking about prehistoric dances, we have the same thing in ancient Greek dance, but it was talked about as called noble or ignoble. So a noble dance was one that was highly structured and symbolic and representative and used music, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, the ignoble dance was the one where people just, you know, just kind of lost their minds and danced, uh, you know, got drunk and danced or honoring Dionysus and went crazy. The dance that we're going to learn together in this class is one that we can still see be reenacted in Greece today and in Crete, where they would do a warrior dance that would either intimidate or celebrate war. And the reason I chose this is because the Spartan warriors were the ones who would probably do this. So uh, as we are all Spartans here on Michigan State University campus, I thought it was best if we tried what's called a Pyrrhic dance. P-Y-R-R-H-I-C. So that's what we're going to be learning together soon. I hope it's become clear to you throughout this podcast how important dance is in the beginning of our world, in the beginning of our human cultures as they permeated and grew and became who we are today. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform students enrolled in IAH 241E Social Dance History and Contemporary Reflections course.